So as we come to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, we'll be in both chapters. We went through these chapters verse by verse on Tuesday night. And as we come to these two chapters, we're not going to read them all verse by verse, but we're going to have a little more text than normal because they're connected. And it's that amazing story of the life of Elijah, and we got to it last week. And there's no one like Elijah. He represents the prophets of the Old Testament. He had the signs and wonders and miracles so much like Jesus had. He's really a type of Jesus in so many ways in the Old Testament. And as we pick it up, he'd called for the famine in the previous chapters where there'd be no rain and there was no rain. And he had told Ahab, the evil king of Israel in the north, that there'd be no rain until he said there was rain. And whatever Ahab thought at that time, who knows Like what he thinks, because he's the most powerful man. His wife is Jezebel. I was like, who's this guy telling me it's not going to rain? But a few years later, when there's no rain, and they're thinking about slaughtering all the livestock, and they're affected economically by it, then, you know, <laughs> who's Elijah? What's that guy's name again? It's Elijah. So he's got everyone looking all over for Elijah. He's making other countries sign contracts that they're not hiding him in their country. So all eyes are on Elijah to try to find this guy. And then he just shows up. So he shows up, and he comes before Ahab, and Ahab's like, oh, you're the one that's caused all the problems. And he goes, no, you're the one that's caused all the problems because you haven't obeyed God's commandments and his word, and you've brought this upon everybody. Don't, no, we're not accepting that. And then he called for the prophets of Baal to the showdown there on Mount Carmel or in the region of Mount Carmel where Jezebel had brought in, she was from Sidon, so she's Lebanese in that region of modern Lebanon, and she brought in her false worshipers and her false priests and prophets of Baal, hundreds of them. And in Elijah's mind, he's the only guy that's still faithful to the Lord. And so he, it's Elijah versus the world, essentially. And he has this all-day competition with the prophets of Baal where he says, he calls all Israel together, and he says, well, we'll see whose God is, is the true God, because Baal means Lord. So Baal's God, he's Lord. There's going to be one Lord, you know, Billy Graham. <laughs> he's either you know, a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, and, and he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So you can't serve, it's not Jesus plus Baal. It's, it's one or the other, Jehovah or Baal. And so here is this whole confrontation between them, and he lets them go first, and they... Whoever calls, whosoever God is, calls down fire to consume the offerings, he's the Lord. So the prophets of Baal go first. They chant and rage, and he actually taunts to them. Nothing happens. Then it's Elijah's turn. He has some pour water on the offering three times, and he calls down the fire from heaven. It's supernatural. God brings the fire. The people are blown away. They're like, the Lord, he is Jehovah's Lord, Jehovah's Lord. They execute the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them. Because they're, they don't belong in Israel in the Old Covenant. <laughs> they're, they're the snare, and they don't belong there. Neither does Jezebel. And so they're executed, but still no rain. And so that's just happened. This is a, a huge, like, mountaintop experience for Elijah where God's used him in this mighty way, and we need that context as we come to tonight. So from that victory, we pick it up in verse 41 of chapter 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of the mountain, and then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go up down, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times 
Elijah said, go again. And then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime, the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was heavy rain. So Ahab, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That is the city of Jezreel. So this is where we start tonight. Now, we, as we're looking at Elijah, and 18 goes into 19. These, are the two, these two chapters are great in the book of 1 Kings. These are very uh, happy chapters in a way in the sense that you just see God doing mighty things. And we're not studying evil kings from the north. But we're actually looking at prophets that God used mightily. But as we look at this text, and what we're going to look at in chapter 19 as we go forward this evening... We really come to these words that are huge words, and they really describe experiences that we have in our life, and they often go together. Because here on the mountain, we start with Elijah's faith. Just, wow, his faith. But then as we get to chapter 19, it's going to be his failure. And then in the latter part of chapter 19, when we end tonight, it's going to be his future. So tonight, when we look at the text, we're really dividing up this story and this narrative historically into faith failure and the future which are all things we can relate to because we're called when we're saved by faith in jesus christ without faith it's impossible to please god we're called to live by faith walk by faith and faith is this things substance things hope for the events not yet seen so we believe all the promises of god by faith that's something we just, we, we have to understand, like, when we're gathered here tonight, there are things that we can see and lay hold of, but ultimately, the next dimension and eternity and the glory that God has for us and the eternal rewards and all that stuff, we have to receive it by faith, and we have to believe it by faith and live it by faith and be that faith. But in so doing, so often, as happens in life, when you have great experiences with the Lord or even in general with your life, there's often failure that comes on the heels of that. We can go so high to a mountain, and then we often find ourselves in a great valley or in a wilderness afterwards. And then ultimately, the woman of faith, the man of faith, in spite of failures and discouragements and heartaches that the journey brings of life, whether you choose to live by faith or not, there's always going to be a future for God's people, a future and a hope, the Lord says in Jeremiah 29 11, and applies to everyone that's ever given their life to Christ. So tonight we have faith, failure, in the future. And that's what we're going to look at as we think about our lives tonight. Starting with the faith, when we did this text Tuesday night, it really was a word from the Lord for this congregation in the body of Christ. Elijah, we're told in the book of James, in the New Testament, was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed it wouldn't rain, it didn't rain. Now, we're, this is the context, again, reminding, I mentioned this last week, but the Holy Spirit takes this story in the New Testament and tells us it's written for our admonition and that we should be praying people. The church should be praying people. We should be believing people for our prayers. We'd ha we should have effective prayer life. And we need to cast our cares upon the Lord. And as we say, big God, little problem, or big problems, little God. So it's all perspective. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the way we're going to we're told in First John they overcame them by the word of their testimony and, well, in Revelation and also in First John and by their faith. We overcome by our faith. 
So our faith is to like a muscle that's always growing. So see, our outward body's perishing, but our inward man, our inward woman is being renewed daily. And really the life of faith renews us. So no matter how old we're becoming physically on the exterior, we're going from glory to glory as we live by faith and we walk by faith. And whether you choose to continue in a journey of faith or to check out like so many often do, for as Paul said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. People do. Know this. My greatest moment of faith, your greatest moment of faith for the believer in Christ, and everyone that's come before us and will come after us in Jesus' name is when we breathe our last. That's the crown jewel of our faith. Because we're trusting Jesus Christ to raise us from the dead. We're trusting his blood shed on the cross saves us from our sins. We're trusting that his spirit bearing witness with our spirit is going to get us through this journey from the beginning to the end and everything we face. We can never forget in this life of faith, the ultimate act of faith will be our last breath. God saves the best for last in our journey. But until we get there, we're called to be women and men of active faith. That's why Pastor Chuck used to say, you know, the difference between the grave and a rut is only depth and width. And you see people just like, oh, I'm just going to settle into a rut. Well, the rut's just a precursor. It's the warm-up band at a concert for the grave. So we have to challenge our faith. We have to take steps of faith. We need to do new adventures. Like when Jennifer Monroe, just a beautician here in Orange County, decides she wakes up two years ago during COVID and decides she's supposed to go to Afghanistan with a Korean ministry to go preach the gospel door-to-door to Muslims in Afghanistan. And that's the Lord, because who would ever think that on their own? And she went. And she went through Istanbul and arrived in Kabul, and her ride wasn't there to pick her up. And she's a woman, you know, she's a woman, middle-aged woman from Orange County beautician sitting at Kabul airport. Well, what happens next? See, we need those journeys of faith. We need those experiences because that's where we get strong. Like, these aren't four-pound, these guys, you know. These are like, oh, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need those things. We got we to stir it up. What did Paul say to Timothy? Stir up the gifts that are in you. Bring the fire. And Elijah had the faith. Now, the glory in front of us, eyes not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even comprehend. It's all by faith. All of it. I've been talking about this lately, but you can do a financial reconcile at the end of the month. So much money you have your checking account, your savings account. Here's what Zillow and Redfin says your house is worth and how much equity you have in it. And if you got your gold, it's worth this. And if you got these stocks, they're worth that. You know, uh, you get that. But they are what they are. But you can do a reconcile and pretty much figure out what your net worth is. But the steps of faith and obedience to the Lord, the time, the energy and the resources, we just can't do the reconcile. You just don't get to know. And that's what I love about living by faith. The cup of cold water in Jesus' name has a reward. The $5 you give to a homeless person who's talking to himself has a reward. Why? Because God loves the poor, even if they're strung out on heroin. And when you give to the poor, Proverbs tells us, you give to the Lord. And he will always reward you. You understand? When you give by faith, 
and you bring that relief to that person, even they're a marred version of what the glory of their life is meant to be in the Lord. You, the Lord, the Lord says, when you give to the poor, you give to Him, and He always brings return dividends on it. But we don't get to always see those dividends, do you? Like if someone just blesses you economically, you wouldn't know that's because I helped out that homeless person. Or we sent this missions, or I did my time and I helped out the VBS at the church down the street for the summer. I, you just don't know. When Peter said, we've left everything for you, Jesus, he said, well, yeah, that's good. But, uh, and Peter said, what do we get? And Jesus like, oh, you, you get so much more in this life, but there's stuff you don't even know you're getting. See, we cannot reconcile our eternal reward and what, what God's doing in and through our life. But as I've mentioned, I had the epiphany this year that every day I'm giving up something, time, my most valuable asset, and yours. And I have no choice but to lose it. We are losing time equally, 24 hours a day. And I have no choice. There's nothing any of us can do to stop time. It's equal in its charge on our lives. Now, the top of the hourglass, how long we'll live, is undetermined. We know what's underneath the bottom of an hourglass, how long we've lived. The top, we don't know. It's not equal. You don't know. But we're giving up time, and we're losing a day. So unless we're redeeming the time, like Paul said to in Ephesians, we're just losing money. We're just throwing money away with no return on investment. The money of time. The wealth, the wealth of time. But when we live by faith and we're available to the Lord and we're our, our, our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, and we're living for Christ, we're abiding in him, we're asking his name, and he's bringing it to pass, and we're doing greater things than he did, and we expect miracles, we look for miracles, and we see miracles, then we're just depositing. Solomon said, cast your bread upon many waters, for you don't know where your return investment's going to come from, so invest bountifully and so bountifully. And that's what he did. How much more so for us with the kingdom? So when we live by faith and we take steps of faith and we go to Afghanistan, that's pretty extreme, of course. But you know what happens when you go to Afghanistan? You go back the next year to Turkey. And then you go to, what, Algeria, Martania. You just keep going because that's what happens. You just, once you got this, then you can do that. Little by little, poco y poco. That's how it works. And Elijah was a man of faith. And here's what you see when you live by faith. Here's what you hear when you live by faith. You hear the rain when it's not yet raining. And you see the torrential storm when it's not even a cloud on the horizon. That's what happens when you live by faith. Because in the end, we're going in glory to faith, with faith in Jesus. But the life of faith is to hear the sound of rain when it's been a famine for three years. And it's like a Santa Ana in Orange County and dry as a tinderbox. See, not only do we live by faith, walk by faith, but Elijah teaches us there's this sound of rain. You hear the sound of rain before there is rain. Isn't that awesome? Don't you want to be a woman who goes to work on Monday or wakes up on Monday or a mother's on Monday or a widow on Monday or whatever we are, whoever we are, a man going to work, going to college, waking up at college. Don't you want to be the person that hears the rain? Before it's raining? And don't you want to be the person that sees the cloud before it's visible? 
Don't you want to see the torrent of rain coming down Mount Carmel when people are running down as fast as they can with their chariots to avoid the mud, like a downpour in San Bernardino in February of flash flooding? Don't you want to be that person? Because that's who we get to be in Jesus' name. We get to, people, we get to be the people that, through the eyes of faith, we, we believe all things. We, our faith coming by hearing by the word of God. The word assures our heart. His spirit bears with our spirit. We know who we're following. We know our calling. We know his power. We know his presence. We know his promises, his posterity, his protection. We know and see it all. And so we're free to just go live by faith. And we bring faith wherever we go. Because the world is filled with people in fear and despair. So how awesome is it just to show up and be like, it's a great day. The Lord's on the throne. And really believe it and live like you mean it. Someone's like, well, you know, this and that. You know what they're doing there? And all these people up, up there. And you're just like, wait, I can't hear you because I hear rain. Do you see what they're doing? No, I just see a cloud on the horizon that's just about to show up. That's who we want to be. Always. Always. See, Elijah in this story, here's the rain. He prayed, no rain, and then he prayed rain because that's what James tells us. See, we are saved by faith. We have a position of righteousness, and then we live it out. In fact, it says in First and Second Corinthians, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God. Paul, an apostle, through the will of God. See, we come to Christ, and it's to be. You receive it, and you are that person, and you hold fast to it. Our identity is in Christ. In Christ, the whole book of Colossians, in Christ. But then it's God who wills and works in us for his good pleasure transforming us from, as it says in Corinthians, glory to glory. So we are this, but we become that. You need to be, we need to be those men and women of faith, and then we need to walk the life of faith, live the life of faith, so we learn the frequency of the sound of faith when there's, we hear the rain before it's there, and we see the cloud before it's on the horizon, because that's what life is meant to be in Jesus' name. It's not meant to be sterile, static, inactive, and religious. It's meant to be vibrant, alive, powerful, passionate, I would much rather wake up believing my handkerchief can heal people than to believe in that God doesn't do miracles, right? What kind of person you want to be on Monday morning when you go to work at Disneyland or at the Mini Mart or look for work in front of Home Depot? We should always be the people that believe the handkerchief could heal because Jesus is the same yesterday and forever. And in a, in a time when people can't hear clearly because they're cluttered, with a lot of static. And they can't see clearly because their eyes are fogged by so much frustration and despair. We're reminded by Elijah on top of the mountain to live the life of faith and to hear the sound of the rain before it comes and to see the cloud before its arrival. And that's who we're meant to be. We want to believe. In fact, he said, there's, he, he told Ahab before it was raining, you better get down. Get your chariot off the mountain. Like he was speaking as if it was already done because in God's economy, it, it already was done. Pastor Chuck used to teach on that at Calvary Costa Mesa. When I was first in ministry, he would say, when you know you're asking for things according to God's will, you should be thanking God for it before you get it. And I always kind of like, how's that, how's that work? Because when you ask for things from the Lord, it's yes, no, or it's yes, no, or you don't know. It's wait. Yes, no, or wait. And we should thank him. You should thank him 
We know he's going to keep us in his hands. He's got a call in our life. He's got a purpose in our life, and he's taking us forward, and it always goes forward through faith. So enjoy the mountaintop with faith. Hear the rain before anyone else hears it. See the cloud before anyone else sees it, and enjoy the victories that God gives us, and speak that faith, and speak those things triumphantly. And I talked about this, because there's people who misunderstand this, so let me make this very clear. I speak promises because they're promises from God. I believe promises because they're promised to me, like they're promised to you. I know I don't create a universe. Christ is the Lord of the universe. But I want to go around speaking that which reflects what I'm believing in my heart. And that's most honorable to the Lord. See, some people go to church and they hear the good news and then they talk all week like you think all they know is bad news. Be good news. Right, WG? Be good news. Be the person who goes, like, when everyone's like, oh, it's like, oh. I hear rain. Like, what in the world? And you just be your little joke between you and the Lord. Well, I hear rain. Your boss is like, what are you talking about? Oh, I hear rain. Can you hear it? You know, like, that's, that's the code word. I hear rain. Can you hear the rain? But alas, when you live by faith, you, the life of faith, there just be great experiences supernatural experiences, great highs. You soar high with the Lord, but then like you can be brought down pretty far by the Lord. I mean, you can walk on water like Peter, but then you can sink when you take your eyes off the Lord. A.B. Simpson, the great missionary in the 1800s who started the Christian Mission Alliance, CMA, it's still going strong, very strong ministry. He, there's a biography on his life called Wingspread because he soared. But he said in his life, he soared so high with the Lord, and the higher you soar, the farther you fall. It's like Paul. He got to see the Lord, the glory of the third heaven, the presence of the Lord, but then he had the, the, the buffet, the, the thorn in his flesh, which is probably his eyes, and to keep him humble. So soften when God uses us in a mighty way, we always want to put our hands on the glory, touch the glory, get some credit on I know of all people. I always tell people, like, the first thing you say, like, winning the Pipe Masters, like, I won the Pipe Masters. I didn't win the Pipe Masters. God won the Pipe Masters, okay? But, like, you immediately think that way. You have a great achievement. You're like, I did this. No, you, you didn't determine when you are born. You didn't determine your talents, your skills, your mental capacities, all that stuff. Everything we have and did that's worth, it's all from the Lord. We should all give glory to the Lord. And so we can soar high with the Lord with great faith and hear the rain before it's raining, see the cloud before it comes. But then there's this challenge that comes after it where we go so high and then all of a sudden we can go so low. So we pick it up in chapter 19. So he just, man, it's, it's a victory day. I mean, he just won it all. He's holding the trophy. He's, he's got it all going. In fact, there's a trophy. There's a monument on Mount Carmel. Pastor Jason Duff from Palm Springs posted it today on Instagram doing an Israel tour of this church. It's, I've seen it. There when you go to Mount Carmel to this day in Israel and you do the little circuit tour, there's a statue and it's Elijah with the sword killing the prophets of Baal. And it's there. It's like a monument. 3,000 years later, there's a monument to Elijah going like, this is where it happened. Call down fire. So there's still a monument, 3,000. And I don't think anyone's turned that one down. There's, there's a monument that represents what happened, what we just read 3,000 years ago. But you know, if you go to the wilderness of Judea, there's no monument for Elijah in a cave asking the Lord to take his life. So let's read about that, right? Because you get high, high, and you get low, low. But you got to keep go, go, go. And Ahab said to Jezebel, all that Elijah had done, listen, Jezebel, we're going to get her. She is scary. 
and also how Elijah had executed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more so also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now see, some women can say something like that and the guy's like, what? Like, but some women say something like that and it's scary. And it was for Elijah. Verse three, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And went to Beersheba, that's in the south of Israel, opposite direction, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He ran about 50 miles. He was, he's doing a triathlon. He's trucking. Eh? Jezebel's coming after him, and he's on the move. And he left his servant, like, I'll see you later. And he took off, right? Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. Well, that happened fast. And he said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Oreb, the mountain of God. So he's all the way down there on the Sinai Peninsula. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he that is the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And that's the voice of the Lord. Verse 13, so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle, his cloth, his coat, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Okay, let's stop there. Do you notice he says the same thing twice? And if you heard last week, he said the same thing back in the previous chapter. In Elijah's mind, it's him saving the world. Have you ever done that? Like, here's the problem when you're the pastor of the perfect church. So let me walk you through this, because I've been the pastor of the perfect church. It's not you. <laughs> and I'm not the pastor, okay? But there in Virginia, I had this great idea. Like, you know, all young pastors, like, hey, this is what we're going to do. It. We're going we're gonna to be exact on all of our theological stuff. We're going to know everything. And, and it's just like... What happens is if you're always right, you can't even have a good marriage. Like if you always, if you're like you're narcissistic, right? Like you're a psychopath or a sociopath or all the above, D. If you're always right, first of all, the Lord can't correct you. But if you know it all, you're judge of it all. And you look at anyone like, they, uh, they're, 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 they're pretty close. Listen, I've had, in 35 years of ministry, I've had so many people come to me, Brother Joey, that was a wonderful sermon, but you missed this part about this. Oh, you mean Jesus plus your theology? Like that thing? Or, 
in Virginia that first year, Brother Joey, now you're a young minister, but there's no clapping in the church. Clapping's of the devil. Oh, oh I don't think so. Now, we're not the clappiest church, but you can clap, you know. Um, and then the next week, a woman's like, she's Pentecost. It's like, oh, Brother Joey, the Holy Spirit was already moving here, but it, you didn't let us dance around. The Holy Spirit wanted to do so much more, but you were, you, you were restraining them. So I got one person one week saying clappings of the devil, and I got a woman the next week telling me that we should be dancing in the aisles. See, that's what makes you want to come to a theology where you know exactly where you stand. I had coffee with Brian Broderson from Calvary Coast Mesa a couple weeks ago. And he told me his, in his entire journey, there's two things that God adjusted his theology on a long time ago in ministry. See, when I went to go start the church in Virginia Beach, I wanted to be absolute on everything. The return of the Lord, salvation, security, all these things. But, you know, it's, it's really hard to be absolutely right on the Lord's return. Like, I've been reading the book of Revelation for 34 years, and it's like, eh? You know? Like, well, it goes with Ezekiel. I read Ezekiel, and I go, eh, eh. I get a double eh on Ezekiel, right? And I was, oh, the key to Revelation is Ezekiel. Like, oh, like spinning wheels. Like, I'm still young. I might get some more down the stretch. Like, every time you go through the Bible, you get a little bit more. You don't know it all, and we're not the end all. But what happens is when you think that you have it all right, then you begin to think like, oh, those guys at Vineyard are weird. Those Methodists, man, those guys were so good. Now they're way off. Presbyterians, oh, don't even go there. Southern Baptists, yeah, they're pretty cool. You know. We're in a Southern Baptist church right now. But, you know, like you get these things that you do. And then what happens is you even, it comes back to Calvary. It's like, I oh, that Calvary Chapel down the street. Those guys are idiots, man. Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. I would never say that as a pastor, but I am thinking it right now. Well, they're down the street thinking I'm not even saved. So it's fair, right? Like, that's how it works. And when, when it comes down to just you and you've got it all figured out, then you wake up in your marriage and you know everything and your spouse doesn't know anything. And your kids try and tell you what's going on in the world. And you're like, no, this is the way it is because I know everything. And that's what happens. And it becomes dangerous when you start thinking it's all on you because then, then you have to help everybody with everything because only you have it all right. So therefore, you have all the answers. Let me pray with you. Let me show you how to do this. Let me explain to you what this really means in this text. And that's what happens. And you can't do it. And you're on top of the mountain, and you're slaughtering the prophets of Baal, and you've called down fire, and you've called down rain. You're just like, wow! And then it's like, but I'm the only one. Actually, no, you're not. When Habakkuk cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, why are you allowing all these strange things in my lifetime? And the Lord says, I'm going to do a work in your day that will declare to you, you wouldn't even believe it. You don't even know what's coming. Because the Lord is always doing so much more than we think or know. And he's definitely not limited to one person. I shared this story because back in the 80s, the calories and vineyards always seemed to be next to each other. There's not so many vineyards anymore. Great music, wonderful people, believers, you know. But I remember going to John Corson up in Oregon. I said, you know, what about the vineyards? He's like, well, Joey, you don't want to cut down the... He read the text from Deuteronomy. When you get into the land, don't cut down the fruit trees when you besiege a city because you might want to have fruit from that tree. And he goes, oh, Joey, I don't want to cut down the tree I can pick fruit from. Why am I going to cut down a tree that's giving me fruit? 
What a great word for a young minister. Basically say, Joey, don't go around the body of Christ with an axe hacking down trees. Just God is doing so much more than you know. And just focus on your lane and what you're called to do and let God do what he's doing. In this cave, so Elijah's failure was fear. Okay, this is a failure. Lord, twice, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, don't you know I'm the only guy? Like, we already had this conversation, but let's have it again. Right? What are you doing? Well, I'm the only guy. Let's try it again. After the fire, the wind, the earthquake, still small voice. So what are you doing? Well, I'm the only guy. He's like, okay, we've done this twice. You know, the same conversation twice, the Lord and Elijah. But his failure was the fear of Jezebel. And that's what can happen. You can be on this mountaintop, and faith is so strong, but suddenly you take your eyes off Jesus when you're walking on water, and you see the waves, and you're just sinking. So you did this, you fire from heaven and rain from heaven, and you just see Jezebel, and it's like the Sea of Galilee, and you're sinking. That can happen to all of us. And so he goes from this great high with the Lord to this great despair within like two days' journey or so where he's asking the Lord, just take my life. Because it's hard to be the only one that's got it all figured out on planet Earth. It's hard to be the last man standing for the kingdom of God. It is hard. It's hard to be the only mediator between God and humanity. And that was Elijah's mistake. Because in his own mind, he's the only guy that's not bowing to Baal. And that is a very serious thing to have wrong in your worldview theology as a follower of Christ. Again, Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, the more mature you become in your faith, the less denominational you become. It doesn't mean you compromise the gospel or the integrity and the authority of God's word over all things, but it just means you realize, you know, there's, there's a lot of beautiful people out there. And or as someone asked me recently, what do I think about this ministry or this denomination? I said, you know, those people show me a lot more love than people in the Calvary Chapel who tried to destroy me 30 years ago. They'll know we are Christians by our love. We, I used to sing that as a kid. So the failure of Elijah is his fear of Jezebel, but it also reveals that he's got this, you know, the only person syndrome, that he's it. He's the last one. And it's, why wouldn't you want to die? Who can carry that? Only Jesus can carry the weight of the world on his shoulders because he did. But we can't. We want to fulfill what God has for us. We need to realize that the voice of the Lord is all that matters. It's still a small voice guiding us. That we're not to live in fear, but faith. And we need to realize, even though we say three times in two chapters, I alone, I alone, I alone. You know, like, we need to realize that we're not alone. But at this point, it's failure. In fact... Elijah has lost hope. And when you lose hope, there's no tomorrow. See, when we have hope for tomorrow, and, and the Lord gives us hope. I mean, we're told in Hebrews that Jesus is an anchor that's a hope to the soul. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But we, we have hope. And no matter what the sins and failures of yesterday are, they're behind us, and we can ask forgiveness to go forward. And we have the gift of life today, seek first the kingdom that we're called to live by faith in. But we're not to fear tomorrow. See, we're often, the failures of the past cripple us and the fear of tomorrow. 
I talk to people all the time in ministry. I'm trying to go forward, whether it's a drug addict or just lust and all these things. Like, listen, don't worry about what the devil's planning on Tuesday. Let's worry about walking with Jesus on Monday. Because you just never know when you say to your spouse, I think I'm having a heart attack, and you are. So why get psyched out over tomorrow? Let's stay. You know, if you're in a seven-game series with baseball, you can't be worrying about game six in San Diego. You'll be worried about game four in Philadelphia. And you can't really be worried about the seventh inning and the third inning. Or you can't be worried about what your pitch count's going to be in the fifth inning. You need to be focused on throwing strikes in the second inning. And what's going on right here and now? That's how it is with the Lord. The Lord always gives us a future and a hope. I know my thoughts for you, says the Lord, in the darkest time of Israel. My thoughts for you are good thoughts, not of evil, but to give you a future and a hope. We, every follower of Christ, everyone redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, should be waking up every day. The Lord, like Johnny Appleseed, the Lord is good to me, the Lord is good to me. So I thank the Lord for giving me the sun, the, moon, the earth, and the apple seed. The Lord is good to me. Like, I mean, that's how we need to be. That those famous American songs you grew up with in the 60s and sang in public school, like, you know, remember? Yeah, song Johnny Appleseed. But like, wake up like, or like Uncle Raymond, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. Like, that's how, like Mr. Bluebird's on my shoulder. That's who we are in Christ. That's who we are. So we have to realize that when we're tempted to go in the slew of despondence and go into despair and to overthink ourselves and get our eyes off the Lord and just stare in the mirror and just say, oh, take my life. Because, you know, you just, you're not looking up at the Lord. You're looking in the mirror at yourself, and then you're looking at Jezebel. Me in the mirror, Jezebel. Me in the mirror, Jezebel. Jezebel's multiplying. Oh, my goodness, and that's how it happens. Oh, Lord, just take my life. And you lose hope. But it's always looking up to the Lord. So we do realize that, that it happens to us. We do get despondent. We do get discouraged. And often after a great success with the Lord, something happens. God allows a chastening or a correction or a heartache to keep us humble, like happened to Paul and happens in human history. But nonetheless, or it can be self-inflicted through pride or unbelief or arrogance and all these other things. But in the wilderness of failure, we have to know that it's always going to be the still small voice that turns us around. Because the Lord is always going to encourage us forward, onward, and upward. The devil will condemn us. The, the woman in the mirror, the man in the mirror will condemn us. Our sins will condemn us. But the Lord will always build us up. And we know this for a fact. Why? Because it says in 1 Corinthians 14 that he who speaks prophecy, that's speaking for the Lord, speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. The Holy Spirit is always going to speak to the believer's life. Edification, to build up, exhortation, to correct, and comfort, to find strength to go forward. There's no fourth thing there in 1 Corinthians 14. So anyone stands up in a church and says, thus said the word of the Lord, it's going to be, if it's the Lord, edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's the heart of God. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but they'd repent and go forward. And that's Ezekiel. But there's a final thought here. So there's, there's that faith, then there's failure, but it's a still small voice. You got to get past the thunder and the lightning and the earthquake and the fire and the wind, and you just got to hear the still small voice of the Lord that says edification, exhortation, and comfort. 
And the last thing we see is verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. That's not the way he came. It's a new way. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Well, that's what God thinks of Ahab and Jezebel. You're going to anoint the next king. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahalath, he shall, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. <laughs> You're fired. Actually not. Well, we'll get back to that. And it shall be that whoever escaped the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escaped the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You see... Again, God's always doing more than we ever think. And we might think, oh, how are we going to get through this mess we're in in my personal life? How are we going to get through this situation in our community? How are we going to get through all this in our state? How are we going to get through this in our country? Whatever. Listen, how is the human race going to get through this in 2022? Listen, God's been taking care of the human race for a long time. And we might think, like, it's now or never. We're at the last stand. No. We're not the last stand. We're people, disciples of Jesus Christ, going forward in faith in our timeline, like those who came before us, and like our children's children will come after us if the Lord does not return in our timeline. It's not us, not up to us in our fleshly efforts or whatever to save California, the United States, and planet Earth. God knows how to do that. He can humble a man and a woman in a split second like that. You can be the most powerful man in the world, then you just look at someone you love and go, I think I'm having a heart attack. And are you ready or are you not ready? This is not our home. We want to be faithful, salt, and light in our timeline, but it's not up to us to save anything other than to be faithful and let him work through us and so bountifully for all eternity with our time, energy, and resources to live a life of faith. Look what the Lord says to him. What's, what's the solution? Okay, so you have faith and failure, and then you have the future. What do you see in this text? The future. What future? The future after you're gone. Who's king after Ahab and Jezebel die violent deaths? Who replaces you as the pastor of Israel? Elisha. Go, uh, okay, so when you come from failure and you're in the wilderness of failure, it's always forward. Because again, Philippians chapter 3, forward, onward, and upward. For you know what lies behind, we press on that we're called God. It's forward, onward, and upward. So you go. What's the first word? Then the Lord said to him, verse 15, go. All right? You've had great victory. You've had great failure. We've seen you in the Hall of Fame. The statue will be there 3,000 years later to honor you in Israel for all the American tourists who come by. Okay, on the bus, and they take a picture in front of the statue of you, what you did. Yeah, you had victory. It's like the Hall of Fame. No one's going to build a statue for you in the cave, but I will say this. Sometimes the slew of despondence that with the statue that could be for Elijah at the cave in Sinai, that's worth more. Because often our great, our lowest moments is where we learn the presence of the Lord more than any other place. I used to say this when I coached Olympic surfing. Winning feels a lot better than losing. Because it does. And a gold medal feels better than a silver one. Because it does. And winning the pipe masters feels better than losing in the semifinals. Because it does. But you learn a lot more from losing than you ever do from winning. 
you grow a lot more from the, you know, the old wild world of sports, agony of defeat, right? They show that skier coming down the ski jump. He's like, ah, you know, agony of defeat, the thrill of victory. You older people know what I'm talking about. And it's like, you learn more from defeat. A disaster in the pipe master semifinals in 1981 prepares you for greatness and victory in 1984. There's no, there's no trophy for disaster in 81. And actually, there was no trophy for 84 either. But at least there was victory, okay? And that's how it works. So in that cave, that's really, that's where we find out what kind of woman you are. When you see yourself kind of stripped down before the Lord, what kind of man you are broken and stripped before the Lord. I'm the only one. I was like, no, you're not. But I'm using you. And the way, the next thing is the way forward. The next thing is you go and you're going this way. You're going in a new way. You came that way, but you're going back that way. And you're going to anoint this person and that person and that person. I'm going to show you what the world looks like after you're gone. See, that's why faith really needs to be to have a, a vision big enough to not just see the end of our journey, but the equipping for others and theirs. So when I look at my goals, when I pray and think about the future of my life and what I want to accomplish at 68, at 75, who I want to be at 80, 2041, if I'm around. I know the ages of all my kids at that age. I know the ages of my grandkids at that age. And I just want to keep equipping them and empowering the vision to them and faith and exhortation, edification, and comfort, because they're going to be entrusted with planet Earth, the church, without us. It doesn't end with Elijah in a cave in the wilderness or on top of Mount Carmel, defeating the prophets of Baal. The kingdom goes on until Jesus says it's done, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I'm very encouraged by the story of Elijah. I'm very stirred up by the story of Elijah and the ending to this whole story because the Lord says the way forward from failure is forward the next thing TNT the next thing is go this way anoint him, him, and him and when you're gone this is the way it will be isn't that great? I think of Pastor Chuck in his last few years at Calvary Custom Mace with his oxygen tank and looking out at young pastors like Garrett Beeler or myself and well younger than me but you know what I'm saying like younger than Chuck and and like how he would see the future and he knew that he was entrusting he was equipping the next generation for when he was gone and that's what I'm doing with everything I get to do with younger people the same thing that's what you get to do with younger people the same thing for, forget about Jezebel and Ahab they'll come and go just like us look for the next generation who God is raising up. Who's going to be the prophet after you? The prophet is after you. Who's going to be the leader that God appoints after our timeline? See, that's where we need to be thinking. So if you only can see in front of you, see faith, see the kingdom, see a future and a hope, and know that with God, it's always forward. In Jesus' name.